Dog days of summer, guys, and it's episode four of the Bannerman. This is Cotto, as always, with Vardy. How you doing, Vardy? Is San Diego still Satan sauna? <laughs> yes. It's been weird. It's been like overcast and so, so kind of like humid too. Uh-huh. We actually had thunderstorms. Oh, look at you! Strange. The only thing falling out of the sky here is like lava. <laughs> you know, it'll be good on a hot summer day, Vardy. Some ice. So let's talk about some mm. hockey. What do you say? Mm. Excellent segue. Yeah, you like that, right? I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Experience. So, I guess the news from episode three to four, the news for the Kings uh, revolves around their RFAs, and they signed a bunch of their RFAs. The notable ones were Brodzinski, Mersch, Ledoux, Shore, and Gravel, and they all came in at a pretty sweet low, uh, pretty sweet low number. I think it was like 650k for every single one of them, except maybe Ledoux. Yeah, Ledoux was 874,000. Which I which I stand by my statement that I, that I made on Twitter. He's getting paid less this year than he did last year. Last year he made a bit more, but that was because of the signing bonus. Right. His actual salary in terms of what he's going to be bringing in this year is less than it was his first year. I don't understand how. <laughs> I don't care. It's nice. It's great. I will take it. Luke Robitaille strikes fear into the hearts of all RFAs. <laughs> I think he just smiles them into compelling compelling them into, into bad contracts. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say that was Rob Blake. And, and Probably. Luke, and Luke just sat there and nodded in agreement with everyone, <laughs> even the players. Yeah, he's got a played, point. Played with a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> <laughs> so Nick Shore came in at uh, 925000 Not Mike, bad. Not bad. Yeah, he actually I liked him last season towards the end. He was showing me something else other than just being some kind of north south defensive specialist which gave Daryl Sutter a bunch of wet dreams, but towards the end of it he was starting to be a little more creative. So I'm excited about seeing what he can do next season. Then there was Michael Mersch at 650k, Johnny Brozinski at 650k. So low impact in terms of the cap. Uh, but hopefully right. high impact on the ice. That's kind of what we're going for. Well, I mean, these are all guys who who most of us have been hearing about for several, several years. Shore obviously cracked the lineup a couple years ago, but hasn't quite been the type of player that one would expect based on what his AHL production was like. I mean, he, he was leading the, I guess at the time, the Monarchs in scoring for two seasons before we brought him up. And then... There was zero offense, and I, I think the the phrase that I've heard used a lot was that Sutter scared the offense out of him. Mm-hmm. And certainly, the first season he played with the Kings, he just looked really, really scared, which could just be any player coming from the AHL up to playing in the on the NHL level. But I feel like in the process of being scared, he found a couple things that he was good at, and rather than try and bring some of that AHL productivity in, he just kept playing to a couple of the things that he kept hearing Sutter and management liked from him, like face-off and defensive you know, coverage, which is great. Nice to have that in someone who you're grooming to be a third-line center. But if you're someone who has been able to lead an AHL team in scoring and you suddenly come up and you can't hit the broadside of a barn with the puck, it's, it's still a bit disappointing in my mind. So hopefully, like you said, he was showing some signs of evolving a bit, maybe going back to the type of player he was 
in the uh, in the AHL earlier in his career. So maybe with the change of the coaching regime, we'll see a bit more of that offense coming through in his third season professionally with the Kings. Anyway, yeah, I would hope so. I uh, I I'm not ready to give up on him. There was times last season, the season before, where it was kind of like I don't see what's so special about him. I don't see you know what makes him any different than a Trevor Lewis or Nick Dowd or anyone like that, especially last season. But like like I said, towards the end, he was doing certain things that he wasn't doing before, at least trying certain things he wasn't trying before. So that's encouraging. If, you know, if all the bad juju is out from the Kings and Daryl Sutter right. truly was the problem, then uh, I look forward to see what he can do. Yeah. Maybe he'll surprise us. Or, yeah, you know. and, and Mersh as well. You know, you talk about a guy who we've heard for multiple seasons was – on the verge, was going to crack the lineup. He was going to come in. Obviously, last season he had an injury early on, and that kind of probably prevented him from, from, you know, getting a call up. Because towards the end of camp, it was him and Kempe, I think, and Dowd. Those three names were the ones that were some of the last players to get sent back down. Yeah. And then early on in the season, Mersh got hurt, and that obviously uh, led to a problem with him getting uh, into the lineup. Um, so hopefully that hasn't set him back too much, and hopefully he hasn't been passed on the depth chart too much. Because honestly, I feel like the Kings have a bunch of guys now that they that they're going to try to work into the lineup, um, but they're all kind of fighting for those same bottom six spots. I really don't see anyone right now that they that they plan on throwing into the top six spots to take over uh, on the top two lines. And even in the bottom six, I think there are still spots to be had with Mersh. You know, it, it's like. I don't think he has anything left to prove in the AHL. You know, he is what yeah. he is at this point. It's disappointing that it's taken him so long to real, to get a real good look in the NHL. He got 17 games in 15-16. He put up a goal and two assists. Obviously, nothing crazy, but he deserves a longer look. There's nothing else. There's no more development left for this player. He's developed. He is what he is, and... You have to know at some point, at least you can. You have to want to know what you have in this player at the NHL level. So I think it's time for him to to get a long look with the Kings. It's crazy to me that the last two seasons we couldn't give him a decent look, and Dwight King was patrolling the left wing, you know, on various lines next to Kopitar, next to Carter, and still Michael Mersch was toiling in the minors when he was clearly, clearly. Uh, basically capped out development-wise, talent-wise in the AHL. So I'm hoping he gets a look. I would hate to lose this guy. I would hate to give him away or put him through waivers without knowing fully what we have in him. And honestly, it's it's getting to that point now because he's 23 or he's 24, I should say. And when you're a 24-year-old prospect, you know, you're at the brink here. You're either going to be in the pros you're either going to be in the nhl or you're going to get waived and probably toil in the minors forever so i really hope we give him a fair shake now that dwight king is gone for good if if i'm not mistaken and i gotta double check on this i think mersh is is kind of in that situation now where if he doesn't make the kings out of camp he has to actually pass through waivers to get sent back down to the ahl yes. i'm not 100 percent sure about that but I'm pretty sure that that's the case. So I think so too. It's it's a very real possibility that that might happen. You know, I'm hoping that the Kings will realize that they should just keep him up for that sake, give him an actual look, and if it's not going to work out, then maybe trade him for something rather than wave him yeah, down. Yeah, give him an opportunity nothing. because really, yeah. what has he done to not <laughs> deserve that? 
at this point. Yeah, right. maybe the Kings are set up in a way where they feel, no, he's not going to work with us. But, I mean, to me, I feel bad for him because he's, he's been a pretty consistent scorer in the AHL. He plays a very simple game. He goes to the net. He collects garbage. He scores. You know, he's not one of those guys that's going to dangle around a defender and, and put one in and make the sports center top 10 anytime soon. But his brand of hockey is still very much relevant in the NHL. And for a team that, you know, now they're figuring out, oh, we need to go to the net more. And John Stevens said, I wouldn't mind if we led the league in goal interference reviews and stuff like that. Sure. It's a hell of a time to give him a look. So, I like him. I like his game. I've been kind of a proponent for him for a long time. Been wanting to see him up here. So let's do it. I mean, he can't be worse than Kyle Clifford, who I like Kyle Clifford and all, but to me, at least Michael Murch scored at the AHL level and he can score around the net and he can be an asset on the power play. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And um, the prodigal son returns, Vardy. Of course, I'm, <laughs> of course I speak of Andrei Loktyanov. The once second coming of Igor Larionov, according to some scouts, according to some King scouts at the time. They, I remember he got a the lot of that, praise. The one that got away. The, oh, no, he didn't, my friend. He did not because the Kings signed him to a PTO. He'll be on tryout at camp. You know, last episode we kind of spoke about taking, uh, taking steps backwards, reaching into the past, trying to rekindle things from before and... So naturally, the next logical thing for the Kings to do is to sign Andrei Loktyanov from the KHL. And he'll be in camp, and he might make this team, buddy. I will say this, to be completely fair. I think when we had Loktyanov, we were in a different point in our developmental cycle. And I don't know if he ever, if he ever got a truly long look in, in terms of being on the Kings roster, I think they traded him out of necessity. I'm trying to remember now who they got for him. I'm pretty sure it was a fifth rounder. There was this. Was that all it was? I think, if I remember correctly, there was a streak of fifth rounders that the Kings got for like three players. Simone Gagne was one of them, and Loktiana was the other. Uh, yeah, the, maybe so, you're right. I thought I thought they traded him for actually getting a player in return. No, I so thought here, it was like a deadline deal or something. No, but. so the trade was uh, L.A. to New Jersey for New Jersey's fifth-round choice in the 2013 entry draft. Huh. So that's the deal for him. Uh, obviously, things didn't work out too well, I guess, for him. His NHL numbers in general, I mean, 155 games, 22 and 26, 48 points. Not terrible. I mean... Not terrible. No, not honestly, terrible. Honestly, not terrible. But it, he, I, I, and I remember actually from like what I vaguely remember of him playing was that he just seemed like kind of a a boy amongst men. Yeah, you know, he was just a he's a smaller guy. He was playing at a time when, um, I don't think the game had opened up quite as much as it is now for the smaller guys to kind of show their skills a bit more. Um, and who knows, man? I mean, it's it's a very, you know. It's, it's, again, the Kings seem to be in the market at this time for these low-risk moves that may or may not pan out. And this is about as low-risk as it comes. Yeah. I obviously haven't been watching a ton of KHL games. I don't exactly have a Russian satellite set up. Uh, so who knows? I mean, maybe he has actually discovered a bit of that game and discovered a bit of the skill that made him such a highly touted prospect to begin with. And it just took him some time to develop into that into that player. Um 
you know, that happens sometimes. There's, there's been plenty of stories in the NHL about guys who just kind of don't really pan out. And then all of a sudden something clicks in their mid-20s. I mean, Marty St. Louis, that's like the first name that comes to come to mind Im- immediately is that he did a whole lot of nothing for the first half of his career. And then all of a sudden in his mid-20s, he lands on the lightning and small guy, skilled guy, yeah. ends up being a great player. So I'm not saying Lactiano is going to show up and be Marty St. Louis, but you know, maybe there's more to this guy than, than there was back then, and he just took some time to find it. And, hey, if it happens for the Kings, I'm all for it, man. Yeah, it's one of those uh, no-risk, high-reward kind of situations. You know, I when they announced the signing, it was, I think it was, I don't know if it was Blake or the, the team anyway, just said that it was his play in the KHL playoffs for the locomotive team that really... Uh, opened their eyes uh, to bringing him back. He had four goals and eight assists in 15 games. That's 12 points in 15 games. Not bad. He even had a decent regular season, to be honest with you. 58 games, 27 points. Uh, so, you know, it's not the NHL, obviously. But, again, it's it, he's 27 years old now, which is crazy to think yeah. that the last time he played for us, you know, he was like 21 or 22. So just basically makes me feel really old. Like, I can legitimately call some of these prospects kids now, and that's not wrong for me to say. Yeah, I just called 24-year-old Nick Shore a kid, which is yeah. blows my mind, but I did it, and here we are. But yeah, with <laughs> Loktyanov, he was dubbed as a creative player. He was dubbed as someone who could create something out of nothing. Not so much a scorer, but more of a setup man. So, hey, we always talk about death down the middle, and... You know, there was a time where he we thought he might be a one-two, but now we're looking at him possibly being our third-line center, fourth-line center, bottom six, obviously. So I'll give it a shot. You know, we were down on the Camilleri thing a little bit, which is also pretty much no risk, high reward. We talked about excitement and things like that, and being excited for the team. It's not that Andre Lakhtyanov makes me excited in any way. This is what passes for excitement these days, unfortunately. Yeah, with but the Kings and, and also the Kings aren't trying to spin it in a way like. Sure. Check it out, man. You know, Andre Lakhtyanov's back and <laughs> right. things are going to be great again. So that kind of makes I will a difference. Say this. I will say this for him. It's There's no reason for him to even take this PTO unless he really, truly wanted to come back and play in the NHL, right? I mean, he's comfortable in the KHL. He's been home. He's been playing. He's that been getting paid. tax-free money, man. Tax-free. Cash money. There's no, Exactly. There's no reason for him to want to even bother with a PTO, right? For when he's going to show up and make league minimum, maybe, and get paid a lot less than he would get in the KHL. So unless he's serious and wants to play in the NHL, great, fantastic, come on over. Let's see what you got. Okay, If it so, doesn't work out, okay. So on a scale of Devin Setaguchi to Peter Budai, okay, wh- what do you think this, <laughs> where do you think this PTO is going to land, buddy? On the scale of <laughs> Devin Setaguchi to Peter Budai. Yeah, two extremes. Oh man, man. Where, are you, uh, where are you leaning? Is it are you leaning more toward coming in and surprising everyone and performing admirably, or are you leaning toward? I don't want to hear another story about what a what a great guy this guy is now, and his demons are behind him, and we should embrace him, <laughs> even though he clearly cannot play hockey anymore. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna say. Peter Setaguchi, <laughs> some some amalgamation of the two of them, <laughs> somewhere down the middle is what I'm hoping for. You know, if I could no, describe, honestly, if I could give a name 
to the yeah. way I feel about the current Kings roster, it's Peter Setaguchi <laughs> as a whole. <laughs> I completely understand you on that one. I do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm not expecting a whole heck of a lot from him, but honestly, man, there's the top, the bottom six has just been such a such a hodgepodge of randomness anyway the last couple seasons that I'm I'm willing to try anything to see you know aside from Trevor Lewis I can't think of really anyone else on the bottom six in the last few seasons that I've just been like yeah this guy's good <laughs> we should keep him around I feel like everyone everyone else is just replaceable there's just cardboard cutouts down there for me personally how we talked dare about you Nick Shore. how dare you disparage Sorry. the great name of Dwight King who was <laughs> A constant on that bottom six. Well, that's not true because he moved up several times to play with Kopitar. So let's talk about Dwight a little bit. There was some news. Sure. Some news today. There was. Speaking um, of the KHL. <laughs> it's crazy how fast <laughs> things can... How the rug can be pulled right from under you. Because not too long ago, Dwight King was hoisting his second Stanley Cup. Mm. He was in a situation that he was clearly very comfortable with. A coach that obviously loved him uh used him in all situations got traded to montreal um canadians fans kind of saw what we've been seeing for years is that he's he's a board battle guy he'll battle along the boards he'll knock a few pucks loose uh but that's about it i i don't think there was anything special about him in general i think you agree with me and today was i don't know if it was announced or it was speculated or leaked that he is most likely headed to the KHL and most likely signaling the end of his NHL career, which is kind of sad in a way. Um, it kind of, you know, we, we kind of poke fun at Dwight King, me and you over the years. We like, why is Dwight King still here? Ha ha ha. Stuff like that. But you have to remember in 2012, him and Nolan coming up was the quote unquote spark, you know, that ignited the Kings and propelled them to greatness so i guess happy trails Man, to dwight king gone are the halcyon days where jordan nolan and dwight king passes a spark in my life that was freaking ridiculous it was though <laughs> i don't think hey. anyone I, I know i know I, I don't think anyone was more excited for him to be leaving the kings than your dad was, <laughs> was no great. he was he was my loved- for anyone listening my dad is a long time kings fan long before i was born um long before wayne gretzky and all that obviously so one day he told me he couldn't take it anymore he just he he looked me in the eyes i am going to write a letter to the los angeles kings and ask them to remove dwight king from the roster and he was dead serious i was (laughs) a letter not an email (laughs) he's not going to (laughs) tweet to at la kings he's going to write a letter uh possibly send it by raven i don't know what he was thinking but (laughs) but he was very serious (laughs) i'm surprised he didn't have you write it down like walk into your room one day and be like gato draft this letter transcribe this for me and you and he just (laughs) word for word exactly while he's pacing around the room (laughs) just really deep in his thoughts about (laughs) how to word a letter Uh, but i mean in in all seriousness this yeah, it is sad. It is sad because everyone saw their contributions during that cup run, and they were they're both Nolan and King were great during those runs. But I think 
I, this is this is again. I feel like we're retreading on a lot of the stuff we've talked about in the past, but it just keeps coming up because I feel like this is still the fundamental problem that the Kings have had, and this will be a focus going forward for this season and the next season as well. Is not so much resting on your laurels, but overvaluing the guys that got you there. I think not just you can't sit there and look at that entire team and been like. God, I love you all. You guys all better stick around. I love you so much, Cliff. I love you so much, yeah. Kinger. And just give where are we going to find another Dwight King? Where exactly. can we possibly find another guy like this? When exactly. the answer is like pretty much anywhere, anywhere, yeah, anywhere. And that's the problem is that you had like twelve Dwight Kings playing on your bottom bottom six, and yet for whatever reason, the real Dwight King was being played on the top line. Maybe for lack of a better option, but the fact is, if you're if you're even thinking about playing Dwight King on your top line, you need to completely reevaluate what your approach is to things, you know? And and this is the problem that the Kings have had is that they overvalue these guys who were there for the cup run because they've seen them do well in a very short glimpse of time. And they seem to think that whatever talent level they had was actually more than what in, in reality it was. And it takes trading them to another team to realize that really they're not all that talented. They're completely replaceable dudes. And now, you know, a guy who's, by all accounts, is a really nice guy and is a good locker room dude. and Hell of a smile. A grin that'll light up the room. <laughs> but it just, you know, he's, he's, just, he's a marginal NHL player. That's what it comes down to. He's a marginal yeah. NHL player. Yeah, and it's that line and, with Montreal says exactly that. He had, after the trade, I mean, he had 17 games, one goal. Two penalty and minutes. A bunch he was of a minus scratches, two. If I yeah, correctly. He played six game in the play six games in the playoffs. He had nothing. It was just yeah bagels all across. So, do you know how many times he was healthy scratched on the Kings last season? On zero. the Kings, yeah, I would <laughs> yes. say he was zero. likely healthy scratched zero times in his entire tenure with the Kings. Uh, I don't think crazy. that's a reach. He might have been healthy scratched one time, maybe, with the Kings. But I know Montreal wasted no time and. You know, systems obviously go a long way in things like that, and sure for whatever. But reason, so does production. So and does so production. Does like, yeah, and Daryl Sutter loved this guy. But again, it's like what you said. It's why overvaluing players, uh, taking one player and making him to be much more than he actually is, which is what I think they're doing to Jake Muzzin. And I, I know that's a segue there, but we in the last few weeks and the last few episodes have kind of throwing his name out there as this is the guy maybe we should trade we should have him in a trade and a couple of people actually told me why you know why do you guys throw throw him in all the trades and all the possible scenarios and the first reason is he's probably one of the better trade options or trade pieces for the kings in order to get a good return but the other thing is that you and i historically ever since he's come in have felt that jake i don't know jake muzzin as a person i'm talking about jake muzzin as a player is to me overrated Ever since we won that second cup, maybe that season actually, the second they moved them up with Dowdy, I would say, to me he's been overrated not only by Kings fans, because fans, I'll never blame a fan for overrating someone, but to me it feels like everyone in the league is overrating Jake Muzzin. I mean, he made the World Cup roster, bro. I don't understand what you're talking about. I don't know. Yeah, he made the World Cup roster as a seventh defenseman, and to be quite honest, I was baffled by that. Because you know who didn't make yeah. that team? P.K. Subban didn't make that right. team. And Jake Muzzin, I'm, the second he made that team, the Kings should have traded him. I agree. 
So, so to kind of discuss it objectively, so there's, there's two ways of looking at it, kind of like you brought up, is, is the com- completely objective point of view of why would you consider trading this guy, and then there's the more subjective eye test. So the objective reasons why we keep throwing his name in as, as a trade option is because he's a legitimately good trade option. He's probably, if I'm being realistic, he's a number three D-man. Probably can play number two, that's fine. But I think on a, on a team, he's he's best used as a number three D. Three four second, second pairing. pairing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, second pairing guy. He's he's on the ball. The problem is that the Kings, again, a bit out of necessity, have forced him into a number two D man role, and he's just not quite cut out for that. I think playing with Dowdy for for the first couple seasons when he did helped overcome a lot of his deficits. I think again having Voinov around for some of those for the cup teams helped overcome the fact that Muzzin isn't quite on that level in my mind. Um, but he's, he's a solid second pairing D man. I will give him that every day of the week. I agree. He signed a sweetheart deal. He has a great deal, but to me the issues, the issue comes when he is being viewed as a top pairing defenseman. And again, this is not a Kings exclusive thing. It's everything I read, all the, you know, player evaluations around the league and, you know, actual writers are really considering Jake Muzzin to be a top pairing guy. And I know that probably makes people think, well, obviously then you guys are the ones that don't know what you're talking about. But my eyes do not deceive me, my friends, because every time I see Jake play, he makes good plays, but when he makes bad plays, he overachieves in making bad plays because he makes some decisions that sometimes are head scratchers and and i to this day sometimes i do not understand what the fascination is uh with this player and where he's being slotted and what he's being considered to be defensive mistakes aside and believe me there are a ton of those in the offensive zone in the last few seasons jake muzzin has struggled to get the puck through any kind of defensive wall his shots are regularly into shin pads into skates uh, he misses the net quite often. I know last season was basically a worst-case scenario season for him, but this is not something new for me. Uh, I remember one play, and I, it's it's like burned into my memory. It was from two seasons ago, was it? Or it might have been last se- season. But he made this play with about three seconds to go against the Sharks where he had no pressure on him, and he sent the puck up the wall to a San Jose player Let's say it was Marlowe or Pavelski. And, and Logan Couture was cutting in the middle. And Marlowe hit Couture with this perfect pass. And Quick made a save that will live in the highlight reels forever. It was a paddle save. And I remember being so frustrated with Muzzin. And it wasn't anything new. This is He makes decisions with the puck sometimes that are absolutely positively awful. And I don't mean to bag on him too much, but to me, the second he made that World Cup team, the Kings should have immediately got on, gotten on the phone and tried to trade him ASAP because his value would never and will never be higher than it was at that point. 100%. And I, I 100% agree with that. To finish my thought about like the objective nature of why this, this is your best tradable asset and why it is someone that you should consider trading right now Um is because he's he's on a sweetheart deal, so that makes him an attractive option, and it also makes him um, someone that teams will give up more for because they they know they're going to get a value player at a value price. Secondly, he's 29, I think, and 
having watched him for a couple seasons, having seen a lot of the things that you yourself just pointed out, and having had him had that awful, awful season last year, um, I'm I'm not convinced that that's a blip. I'm not convinced that that's just like a one-off outlier terrible season and he's going to have a bounce-back season. I think we have seen Jake Muzzin peak. Peak Muzzin. Peak neckbeard. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> has has come and gone, and I think we're going to see a continued decline of Muzzin because he doesn't have the supporting staff that he had in seasons prior to help make up for some of those mistakes. And he does. He makes these plays sometimes that you're just like, this is not the type of play that a number one D-man makes. This is the type of play that a second-pairing D-man with some offensive talent and a hell of a slap shot, which he has, makes when he knows he's he's got some good backup, when someone else can kind of make up for his his you know his messed up plays. And I think that's what that's how he was able to benefit in the past. And now all of a sudden he's thrust into this role where there's more dependence on his ability to be an all-around good defender. And I just don't think that he he has that capability he doesn't have that certain something that Dowdy, Voinov, um, Subban since he brought up his name can can do where you're capable of playing both ends of the of the of the game and think well on both ends of it so you realize when there's not a play there offensively you make a safer play because your job ultimately is to be a good defender you know what it is man people will point to his advanced stats his fancy stats They'll point to his Corsi numbers, you know, from uh, 2014, I think he was 61%, which was like off the charts, probably the best in the league, or close anyway, best on the Kings for sure. And he'd be like, oh, look at all the play he's driving, you know, look at all the possession metrics he has. But, and this is where, to me, there's a big disconnect between these fancy stats, advanced stats, all these analytics, and just good old-fashioned watching the game, understanding the game. And watching this player make decisions when he has the puck. And even when he doesn't have the puck. You know, his coverage last season was frustrating, to say the least. You know, the decision-making in terms of defense was frustrating. And that's what, that's kind of the reason why, in my opinion, and for me anyways, why I constantly bring his name up when I when I think trade is because I feel like right now, no one seems to see that. And the Kings should see that. And if they don't, well whatever i guess i can't help them there but to me his value is high people consider him to be this gem of a defenseman and if you can return someone i know we talked about landeskog but if you can return someone like that for jake muzzin i don't see any scenario where you don't make that trade if someone thinks he's more than what he is max out your value get someone in return and move forward because i don't think he's a special player i think he's just a solid average NHL player who, you know, playing on good teams, having good Corsi numbers, having one of the best defensemen in the world as his partner, you know, jacked up his trade value, jacked up his value around the league. And great, good for him, I guess, good for the Kings if they decide to deal with this asset properly, in my opinion. It's it's funny that you mentioned, you said the word jacked up because in a lot of ways, I, I, it reminds me of Jack Johnson where he came in and had this reputation of being this fantastic, he's going to be this awesome defender, he's going to just revolutionize the game from the position. And at that time, the Kings were smart enough to realize that this kid's potential was not nearly as high as the hype was. Right. Right? And I don't think anyone was 
necessarily lamenting the loss of Jack Johnson when they traded him. We realized that you had to give to get, and we got real good in that situation, and it was totally worth it. And oh, now yeah. you look at Jack Johnson. You look at how Jack Johnson's playing right now in his career. Does anyone feel like we really lost anything? I mean, Jack Johnson's an average defender on, on his own team right now. He's just been that average defender his whole career. He's not a bad NHL player. He's an average defender. Every team needs him. I think Jake Muzzin, when it's all is said and done, is going to fall into that category in the annals of NHL history. And so while people don't think of him on that level now, you need to capitalize and move him and get something in return. Again, this is all within the context of, yes, maybe they feel a little pressure looking at teams like Calgary, Nashville, who now have like solid four defensemen up and down. And so maybe they think that like, well, we can't afford to trade him. I don't know, man. That I think at that point you have to kind of assess your whole team and see really where do you stand in the conference, in the division against teams like that and whether – you know, just for the sake of having four defensemen, you hold on to this guy or you look at the reality of the situation and say, like, do we really even have a shot even with four defensemen against these teams in the playoffs? And if you don't, then you just, you know, call it like like you see it, make the trade and get something before it's too late. I don't know. That's just my thoughts. So we talked about him being on the World Cup team and how that was probably the most opportune time to move him. So we're going to stick with international hockey a bit. Um we didn't. We never got to discuss the Olympic situation, Vardy. I know we've Mm-mm. spoken, you know, off air or whatever about it and what we feel about it. But what what is your feeling on this? Um, the whole thing about the NHL opting out of the Olympics. Uh, to me, before I'll, I'll let you answer, but to me, it's actually kind of exciting to tell you the truth. And maybe that's because we're just coming off the World Cup a little bit, but. To me, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing, you know, the different dynamics that's going to play out for some of these nations. Because really, every year, uh, or every four years, I should say, it's it's like Canada or it's going to be an upset. You know, anyone but Canada is a shocker. You know, these Maybe days. Sweden. Maybe Sweden. Sweden. Sweden's good, but I still think, you know, if... You oh, know, yeah, Canada's always like the favorite. Betting lines, whatever, Canada's far and away the favorite to win it every single olympics and when they don't it's because they didn't play well or something like that you know what i mean or the team wasn't constructed correctly but this time around it really seems like it's anyone's game because i don't think anyone has any idea what the rosters are going to look like first of all i mean you might have a general idea of where the players are going to come from and and whatnot but the makeup of the roster i don't like i can't even wrap my head around it right now someone's told me hey make a roster right now for canada uh, based on the fact that there are no NHL players, I, you know, I, I don't even know where to begin. I think so. Just to kind of recap for people who might not know the details, uh, I don't even know for how long now. It's been 15, 16 years, maybe even longer than that, that NHL players have been allowed to play in the Olympic Games, and for the first time in a long, long time for this upcoming Winter Olympics um, next year, um, NHL players will not be allowed to participate in olympic games um beyond that ahl players who have nhl contracts meaning a lot of your prospects who have entry-level deals and things like that but they're not necessarily playing in the nhl yet those players will not be allowed to participate in the olympic games and that's from canada usa swedish russian players whoever has an entry-level contract with an nhl team will not be allowed to participate in olympic games unless they decide to violate that contract which 
a few players have threatened to do, most notably Alexander Ovechkin of the Washington Capitals has threatened to do so, um, because international hockey still matters quite a bit to a lot of people. Maybe not so much on the on the United States level, but certainly in Canada, certainly in Russia and, and the European countries, international hockey is on the level, if not more important than NHL hockey to a lot of these teams, which you can't blame them for. I mean, to a lot of these players, which you can't blame them for because, um, I mean, if you're, if you're a kid growing up in the Czech Republic or in Russia, you're not sitting there watching NHL games, right? You're watching your own league games and probably Olympic hockey. That's what matters to you. So you can understand why for a lot of these players coming from these international countries now, all of a sudden, because they've signed a contract to play in what's, uh, the best league in the world, to be not allowed to participate in something that's that has a lot of national pride is very upsetting, especially when every other team, you know, for the last decade plus has been constructed with NHL players. Um, that's that's especially especially damaging to the Olympic hopes of a team like Canada, um, where so many of your best players are in the NHL or assigned to NHL contracts. Um, in Russia, you have a lot of really good players. Who are still playing in the KHL um, for whatever reason they're not over here in the US they're not playing here first example that comes to mind is, is Ilya Kovalchuk he is not signed to an NHL contract there was talk of him potentially coming back and playing in the NHL but as of right now he is a KHL player and will 100% be on their Olympic roster um, I don't even know who, who who Canada you know who which Canadian players would meet that criteria Dwight King yes yes <laughs> But it's, it's also funny when you think about a lot of – we've talked about this a little bit, again, off the air. Um, there's a lot of older veteran UFAs at the moment um, who are still kind of surprisingly unsigned. Uh, Thomas Vanek, Jeremy Yager, mm-hmm. um, Jerome Ginla, you know, of, of last year's Kings fame. Guys who probably still have an NHL game left in them who are unsigned at the moment and because of that they are olympic eligible and because all of these people who would otherwise make the make the olympic roster are now not allowed to you might actually have 45 year old Yarmir Yager playing on the Czech Republic roster you might have Jerome Ginla playing on the Canadian roster because they might sincerely not have any better option and that's why it's so interesting to me because it's it's almost like the wild, wild west. Like you just really don't know what to expect from the Olympics, and it's not that it wasn't exciting to watch before. Believe me, it was fantastic. Anytime I get a chance to watch best on best, you know, sign me up. I'll watch it. But this is this harkens back to the days of like, you know, the nineteen Mike Ruzioni, Rizzo, and you know, OC and all those guys. <laughs> yeah, the reason that story is like part of the fabric of America is because they weren't pros is because right. they weren't anything special and they they because were just they a bunch of college pros. players they, exactly right they were a bunch of college players put together and they went up against the big red machine and yeah they you know they pulled off probably the greatest upset in sports history and it wouldn't have been an upset it wouldn't have been anything memorable if it was just a bunch of pros like you know the 72 summit series they they still talk about that series because it was such a war and guess what? That series was basically even. Uh, um, I know it's. I think Canada took uh, the last game, and that put him over because it was an even number of games. All in all, if you look at the games, if you look at how that whole thing 
played out, it was a pretty evenly matched series. And the thing about the 80 team was that they were given zero chance. There was no, oh, I wonder what would happen if these kids from, you know, Boston College <laughs> go up against, like, sure. the greatest, you know, hockey team ever assembled. And and that's kind of, I think that's coming back a little bit this year. And I know it's probably going to be one time. And the other day, someone mentioned an article to me where it was like it, it would have to be a miracle deal for the nhl to come back and and rejoin the olympics and i'm like no i don't want a miracle deal i kind of want to see what's going to happen it's not going to be this. no, no it's not going to so i mean so so what's going to happen is and i can almost guarantee you this is 2018 in south korea they're not going to play and then i think it's 2022 it's supposed to be in china and 100 the nhl will be back in it because the NHL already right now, just this upcoming season, is going to have teams playing, including the Kings, playing in China to try and spread the game to a large population of Chinese players who are, you know, they're, it's, it's money. It's money sitting there for the NHL to potentially make, to spread their game, mm -hmm. to make more money off of this audience. So there's absolutely no way that they're not going to work something out, some sort of, you know, 11th hour deal or what have you to get NHL players back into the winter games in China in 2022. And so it'll be interesting certainly to see some of these guys play. It'll be interesting to see some ex-Kings who are in the KHL and some of these other leagues all of a sudden turn up and, and play in Olympic teams that they otherwise would never have a shot at playing in. I think I brought this up with you the other day, but Kevin Dahlman has been like a KHL defensive legend. He is the Bobby for, Orr of the KHL. He is. It's crazy. He he could end up playing on an Olympic team. I wonder if Alexander Frolov's still kicking around. You know, I actually looked that up after we <laughs> yeah. talked about this. I mean, come on. How can I not? How can <laughs> I, I not? But um, I think he last played last year or the year before on some KHL team, but his knee injuries actually, if you can believe it, slowed him down even more. <laughs> <laughs> You don't need speed if you only score on wraparounds. That's very true. That was his finishing maneuver. That was the wraparound fatality every single time. The leg drop equivalent yeah. for Alexander Frolov. Yeah, but I'm I'm looking forward to the Olympics, probably more so than ever. I, 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 that's not true. In 98, when they announced that pros can play, that was pretty exciting times. But this, to me, it's... It's like a breath of fresh air. You know, I, I, I'm really interested to see what's going to happen. I'm really curious to see what level of play we're actually going to witness. And honestly, I'm all for it. Maybe let's uh, let's keep the NHL out for a little while. Let's make us miss it a little bit. Because I remember that excitement in 98. And after, after a while, it was like, okay, this is cool. You know, but for 2018, the excitement is back. Um so, one thing we didn't really cover, Vardy, you know, we, we kind of jumped into episode one, and this is our fourth episode. We had to jump right into that really long first episode where we basically uh, talked about those three fateful King seasons and everything that followed. So, we didn't really have time to really talk about ourselves. So, we thought, hey, people like us. People are listening, it seems. You know, why not talk about us a little bit? So... It's going to be story time with the Bannermen. I didn't want to bring this up on the air, but we have been getting some some rather uh, promiscuous messages on Twitter. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, I don't want to assume things here, but maybe the the allure of the Bannermen is more than I thought it would be. <laughs> what? What's that? Oh, everyone gets those ridiculous Twitter <laughs> followers. 
Yeah, they're called uh, they're they're called spam bots. That girl so, in the picture actually is not a real person. So, so she doesn't like me for my hockey knowledge. No, no. Huh. That's probably right. not even her in the photo. I'm man. So Jackie sixty nine sixty nine XO is not a real hockey fan. No, no. That was not a jersey she was not wearing. <laughs> Uh, might have to reevaluate things so, here. I thought we were being dead sexy. So let's talk about let's talk about Vardy a little bit. Um, how did you how did you become a Kings fan? I know we, we've been friends for twenty years, and I think it's fair to mm. say that us and kind of the circle of friends we have now, we kind of came together because of hockey uh, for the most part. I would say so. I, okay, I have a question for you. Let let's do sure. let's do, make it a Q and A style. Okay. What is your okay. first memory of being a Kings fan? Oh, my first memory of being a Kings fan. So, so this is actually so. It, there's two memories. There's two memories. The, my, I, my first. So I have one memory of of watching a Kings game was during the ninety two ninety three Cup run, which Good I was times. probably like ten years. I was like ten years old at this time, and then. The second memory I have is during that next off season after that cup run, going to uh, an exhibition game. So it's probably right around that time that I kind of became a fan. And you can call me a fair weather fan, what have you, but come on, man, I was I was ten years old. What did I know? You know, bandwagoner, right? Exactly. It's just schoolyard bandwagoner. That's what they called me. It was harsh. Um, so. Oddly enough, you know who the first king I, for whatever reason, I can remember in my mind as a 10-year-old watching, Ooh. it's it's embarrassing. Is it? Warren Reichel. <laughs> <laughs> Fourth line grindathon. Warren Reichel, for whatever reason, as a 10-year-old, he was my guy, man. You gravitated Warren toward Warren Reichel. Reichel. Okay, I, Warren get Reichel. I get it, man. You probably looked at it I think that's like, where I get my rough and tumble game from now. I really, I know what happened constantly now. Channeling. I know what happened, Barty. Okay. He was... Tell me. In ninety two, ninety three, for a long stretch, he was on the first line with Gretzky. So you were probably watching, and you were like, "Okay, if this guy can play with him, then he must be good." And ten year old Vardy was dead wrong. But it's okay. You know what that means? There's some poor ten year old kid out there who's really sad about Dwight King. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, man, there's the s- there's grown men right now that are sad about Dwight King, and I've spoken to a few of them, and it's very uh, confusing. So that's that's my first memory of like. Of actually watching a Kings player play, um, my my memory of actually meeting a Kings player was then that next off season was I went to an exhibition game with my dad, uh, a Kings and Ducks game, and I had stumbled sh- shortly before this game in like Marshalls or Ross or one of those stores. I stumbled upon a. Old school Ducks jersey, like a CCM white Ducks jersey oh, with the teal no. and purple. Yes. It was $10 worth every penny that bought it. Again, 10, 11 $10. year old Vardy doesn't, didn't know any better. Didn't know any better. It's like two gallons. I think of I was more now. of a hockey fan at that time than anything. Hey, the Flying V was strong back then. I mean, there was still. Flying V was on fleek then. I don't think anything was on fleek then except for the flying V. That's not true because the knuckle puck was on fleek. Ah, Touche, good sir. Touche. So I'm at this exhibition game and uh, I'm wearing my crappy $10 (laughs) CCM Ducks jersey and we're walking up to our seats and it happens to be 
kind of it was at the forum and it was kind of past somehow where where some of the press or the executives or whatever the section was around there and dave taylor's there and so i immediately recognized dave taylor i go up to him and just say hi mr taylor whatnot and he just looks right at me in the jersey i'm wearing he goes you're wearing the wrong colors and just laughed at me and uh i was a king's fan ever since you're lucky he didn't punch you right in the mouth he, he very well should have i deserved it after that point um I was no longer just uh, a hockey fan. I was I was a Kings fan, and that was it. Because so, I was not about to piss off Dave Taylor ever again. So Dave Taylor is responsible for 50% of this podcast. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Your turn. My, my Kings memory? My first Kings Indeed. memory? So yes. my dad was a Kings fan since 1977, about... Uh, came here from the Soviet Union. Hockey was big there. Flip channels. Was it? It's a big thing? They liked it. But anyway, he, he found the Kings on whatever channel they were playing in 1977. <laughs> he took a liking to them. Obviously, they were the only hockey on TV, so that's probably why, because they weren't a very good team back in the day. Um, so he's been a Kings fan since. So anyway, he took me to the forum all the time. So he claims, even when I was you know, a few months old, they, which to this day, I, I'm like, why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> they give me to, so, and my dad gets into it too. So it's not like he was having a ball with me there. He was probably like, I regret this immediately, <laughs> but they took me, but my first memory is actually, uh, Wayne Gretzky's first game in LA. And it's, I was, a, obviously I was very young, but th- there are certain things about it. I remember very vividly, I remember just the atmosphere, and it was very different. I, I I just remember it being very packed. Something that I it was new to me. I remember that. I remember like I've been here before, but it's never been this way. And I remember the Kings were scoring a lot. I believe the final final of that game was like eight to two. Not that I remember from that day. I've looked it up since, obviously. But I remember mm-hmm. every time they scored, I would turn to my dad and show him the number of goals with my finger. Uh, with my hand, obviously, I would be like four or five, whatever, and that is literally my first memory of of the Kings in any way. Uh, that's not pho- photographic or video or whatever. So, yeah, I I don't have a memory where I haven't been a Kings fan, which is both fantastic and depressing at the same time. And and I think that's pretty much what encompasses being a Kings fan. Yeah, is fantastic depression. Any other stories we could tell? How about? How about this? How about stories where I like your Dave Taylor story. So, any other stories where you interacted with the Kings, with Kings personnel? So, actually, I, I kind of alluded to this last episode um, <laughs> about meeting Roman Czechmonic and getting a stick signed uh, by yes. him. There's actually there's actually two stories from that day that stick with me. Um, so it was like at a Tipa King event or something like that, and. He had just come to the Kings, and it was all very exciting because he had been such a good goalie for the Flyers at the time, and been a while since the Kings had had a good goalie, basically since Rudy, as far as I can remember, in terms of someone that had actually been reliable. And so, um, maybe Podfan for a second. Podfan. I was gonna. I was yeah. just about to say it, but um, so anyway, lots of fanfare when he came around. Everyone was very excited, you know, before he came crashing down to earth rather quickly, but. I remember distinctly buying like a, a like a Louisville TPS hockey stick that 
my plan was to just have him sign it. That was it. That was it. <laughs> Anyone you know? else would ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would depreciate in value. Right. This is a well-known fact amongst collectors, you know. <laughs> so I was, I was so serious about getting the stick signed. And we're standing in line and we're getting closer and closer. And, you know, I can see his unibrow getting closer and closer and <laughs> about to sign the stick. And everyone and the group we were with, like, they were laughing and they were giggling and, you know, screaming and yelling and stuff. And in my nervousness, I remember holding that stick and just yelling at our group, like, can you guys calm down? I'm about to get the stick signed by Romy Chagmonic. <laughs> just ridicule for the rest of the day well deserved <laughs> you made a big mistake retelling that story dude <laughs> history proved me so wrong so so wrong and it was you know i hadn't met too many kings players at that time and so right after i got checkmatic to sign the stick and still riding that high baby riding that high into the next line of players was was jason allison's line meeting Jason Allison and getting mm. him to sign a jersey or something that I had had for him to sign. And so Jason Allison was not the most fan-friendly player to my recollection. Like he wasn't – like we we had the good fortune of meeting a bunch of Kings players during that time eventually through the years. Like we met Derek Armstrong one time after he'd hurt his finger and he spent about 45 oh, minutes reviewing that. the injury with us. That, and like yeah. I immediately regretted <laughs> asking him that question because this guy – he literally gave me a lesson in biology as I was sitting and just medicine. And I was like, okay, army, thank you. And Godspeed. <laughs> Good luck with your hand. But I got to go. I think we'd showed up to watch the Kings practice. And obviously he wasn't practicing because he had, his, he had hurt his finger. We missed the entire practice because he spent <laughs> so long explaining to us exactly what happened to his finger, which essentially amounted to it got bent backwards to the point where it touched the back of his hand. And we were like, super. And he just kept talking to us about this finger. But he was you such know? a nice guy. He was such a he nice was. guy. Yeah. He was. We're such ingrate sitting here standing and <laughs> complaining about how right. an NHL player spent 45 minutes talking <laughs> to us. So anyway, getting back to the idea of Jason Allison, he wasn't like that, essentially. He wasn't about to spend any more time with with a fan than he had to. And so I'm watching him signing all these jerseys and stuff and pictures and forcing himself to smile and, and whatnot. And so I finally get up there. And mind you, he was the king's number one center at this time so very excited to meet this guy and so i'm thinking in my head like man what am i going to say to this guy to, to get him to crack you know to get him to to be nice to me not be gruff and you know maybe share a word or two make my day more special and so i finally get up there and the words that i thought were going to come out of my head just really didn't come together at all and i think i said to him something to the effect of i'm having a good time yeah <laughs> no way no way <laughs> and you know what's funny he probably was like get this guy away from me because that's how he was anyway that's almost that's almost exactly the reaction he just kind of looked at me and said what and i was like and I didn't have a response, and he just signed my jersey, and he gave it right back to me. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Those are a few choice memories of mine. That's a good one. I like that. <laughs> um, All my favorite King stories involve me embarrassing myself in front of the King, so there you go. The one I'm about to tell isn't too embarrassing. Um, what it is, it's surprising that 
what happened happened. So in like 2000, I want to say it was 2005, maybe 2000, around there. It was, it was when uh, Wayne Gretzky was coaching the Coyotes. So he was okay. obviously retired. He's coaching the Yotes, and I was coaching a youth team myself. I was on the coaching staff for like a Pee Wee team, something like that. And one of the parents on the Pee Wee team actually knew Gretzky, and they were coming into town to play the Kings. So we got all the we got tickets. All the whole team, the parents, everyone. We got like a nice discount on some section back when you couldn't give Kings tickets away. Um, right, and. As we were getting closer to the date of the game, the the kid's dad said, oh, you know, like, I'm going to set it up so the team meets Gretzky before the game because he, he's known to do that for youth teams and stuff like that. And, of course, my first question was, well, what about the coaches? And, <laughs> and he said, no. The I mean, coach. you're part of the team. Yeah. Where, where would the kids and be he, without the coaches? And he said, no, the coaches too, the parents too, like everyone. And I was like, cool. You know, that would be cool. I would love to meet that man. He was my hero when I was a kid. And throughout throughout and my life... Going, <laughs> well, I am. But the thing is, throughout my life, I've, I've rarely been starstruck. You know, I've met... You know, we live in LA. You, you run into celebrities. You talk to celebrities sometimes. And hockey players especially. I had met so many players like Marcel Dion, Luke Robitaille. Like, I've spoken to these men. And I was fine. You know, they're legends. I know they're legends. But I... You know, I don't lose it or anything like that. So the day comes before the game. The kid's dad comes comes to us and says, okay, well, we're going to go downstairs into the tunnels and Wayne's going to come up, you know, meet the kids, take a photo and leave. I'm like, cool. It's going to be great. You know, I've always wanted to do this. Go down the tunnel. We're waiting. And almost like a movie, all right, almost like slow motion, you know, Wayne Gretzky comes from around the corner and starts walking toward us. And I basically, within two seconds, become catatonic, I would say. I just, <laughs> I'm just standing there, and I just... You know that one scene in Talladega Nights where Ricky Bobby doesn't know what to do with his hands? It was yes, like that, except he, I didn't know... says, I don't know what to do with my hands. Correct. It was like that, except I didn't know what to do with my entire body. I think I forgot how to walk. I forgot... <laughs> if I had gone to talk to him... You think your words to Jason Allison were embarrassing? I would have probably just said, <laughs> something along those lines. So anyway, it's time to take the photo, right? I, I didn't even get near this guy, by the way. You would think I would go up and shake the man's hand, but I didn't even get near him. It was like, I just stood away awkwardly while everyone ran up to him like, you know, hey, Wayne. Yeah, you were cool. just being a considerate coach, letting the kids get to him. Correct, right. So it's time to take the photo, and the kids all huddle up around him. The guy I was coaching with, friend of the show, The Boomerang, runs up, literally throws a kid out of the way, throws him, okay, and, and hugs him. Is he called The Boomerang because the kid returned to him? Is that what happened? Actually, the kid was never seen again, so mm. <laughs> I don't know where he got that nickname. But he hugs Wayne Gretzky, and I'm, and I literally sheepishly like shuffle my feet as close as i can to the group and i lean my head into the picture <laughs> like i'm photo bombing them so i still have that photo to this day i might throw it on twitter Cherish guys memory. i don't know give me some feedback <laughs> i might put it on twitter for you guys but you'll see the boomerang with wayne 
<laughs> right in the center of the photo, all the kids around, and then on the top left, you see an awkward-looking man just poking his head in the photo. So, that's my story of meeting Wayne Gretzky, and I am embarrassed to even call it meeting Wayne Gretzky, because I feel like his force field didn't allow me to get near him. That's a good story, though, man. That's a good... That's I, I think, to be completely fair to you, I think most people would have a similar reaction to Wayne. Maybe not to that level, but yeah. Maybe <laughs> Probably not, not going to push a child out of the way every, and hug him. Every, but, you know. <laughs> the boomerang will boomerang. That's different. Yes, but that's, that's what he do. Every player before and every player, celebrity, whatever, after, it's been fine. No big deal. But I think no matter what happens now, and I know that if I, if I ever find myself in a room with Wayne Gretzky, I should probably just slip out the back door and just not get near the Right, guy, so. just spare yourself the embarrassment. But that's what happens, man. I actually... mean, he, he was my hero, so he was literally my hero. Like, I had all his jerseys, and by had, I mean I still have all his jerseys in my closet. Right. Um, signed photos, like framed photos. I even, when I was a kid, I tried to play like him, which I did not How'd succeed. that work out? <laughs> <laughs> if you guys are wondering why I'm sitting here doing a podcast instead of playing hockey. Mm. Um but, you know, everything. So I guess in retrospect, it's normal and it's okay that I became a puddle of goo in the presence of him. But but you know what, man? You were having a good time, yeah? <laughs> I was having a good time, yeah. Uh, you know what that reminds me? Was I with you when we met Marcel Dion for the first time or we had were. you already met him? No, no. That was the first time and it was fantastic because he was like a bro. Do you remember the story? Do you remember the story he told us? We had a We had a signed photo. We had a photo that he was signing. And there was some photo, and it was like it was a game photo, and there's a bunch of players in the background of this photo. I remember, yeah. I know, I remember. <laughs> and he literally sat there and named every single player and just guys that I had never heard of. You had heard of some of them because you have some sort of weird encyclopedic memory of NHL players that I certainly don't have. But he just went, This guy's this guy, this guy's this guy. He did this to me, this guy did this to me. <laughs> and then he's like, And then you know who this guy is? I'm like, no, who's that, Marcel? He's like, I don't know. I don't recognize him. <laughs> he was a, he was fun. Classic See, Marcel. He was the kind of guy where Classic. I was like, I want to have a beer with you. I don't know if you know you're allowed at your advanced age or anything, but I would love to have a beer with you, Marcel. It's always cool when you meet someone you idolize and they end up being even cooler than you imagined. Uh, Luke was the same way when when I met Luke. Obviously, he comes across as, like, the nicest guy in the world anyway on TV and all that stuff. And he was. He was just always like, hey, buddy, like, let's take a photo and all this. Luke <laughs> <laughs> will forever, in my mind, have the personality of, like, a five-year-old in a candy store. <laughs> That's right. He is. He's just happy-go-lucky. See what I did there? I can't imagine him in, like, one of these big NHL GM meetings, you know? He's like the dude who's going around putting whoopee cushions underneath people <laughs> exactly, just to break yeah. the ice. We decided to share a few stories. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We're, our goal is to kind of let you guys get to know us a little bit. And obviously, since it's the off season, there isn't a whole lot to talk about. There really wasn't too much to get into. So we decided to give you a little insight into us. And hopefully that'll make you listen to more episodes instead of unsubscribing forever, which is <laughs> a risk we took today. And And... You know what? I'm going to go one step further, Cod, if you don't mind. I'm going to actually open up the floor to whoever may be listening to us. Tweet us. Let us know what your first memory was of the Kings. And if you had like a great story of meeting one of the Kings, 
embarrassing, whatever. Embarrassing's better for obvious reasons because it's hilarious and uh, we we have no problem opening up about it. But if there's a great story like that that you have, tweet us. Let us know. It's all in good fun. This is what fandom is all about. Tweet us any way you can reach us. Do it. And what we'll do is we'll pick out the best one, the funniest one. And in episode five, we'll actually share it uh on there we'll make it a part of the episode yeah. so it'll be go. fun i mean it's it's a little bit of an incentive nothing crazy obviously uh but let's it's make the this summertime go yeah, wild let's kid. make go this wild. interactive you know why not that's it guys we we wanted to make this kind of a more open-ended episode more freewheeling uh freestyling much like the kings i'm sure will be playing this upcoming season totally just complete open offense no for grinding. sure bros no it's gonna be like an all-star game as usual, follow us on Twitter at the Bannerman Pod. Visit our website, bannermanpodcast.com. We are on iTunes. We are on SoundCloud. And we're also on FM, XM, AM, Satellite. No, we're not on any of those things. We're just, not on anything like that, no. no. But we are on Stitcher no. now uh, for Android users, people who don't use iTunes. We're now on the Stitcher platform. So we'll see you guys next time for episode five. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm Vardy. He's Toto. Bannerman out. Bannerman out.